As healthcare becomes increasingly digital and connected, keeping data secure is more important than ever. T-Mobile for Business provides healthcare experts with tools they need to help keep their complex ecosystem connected and secure. Our solutions can help connect patients to doctors, doctors to doctors, and doctors to diagnoses. Ensuring that shared knowledge and data is available to provide better care for patients' most pressing needs. Visit t-mobile.com business to learn more. Patients have choices and we live in this competitive market and we want to be the most desirable choice. What design does for us, it, it orients us to what matters most. Hello and welcome to Cast. My name is Emily Olson. I'm the executive editor of Moby Health News. I'm here today with Julie Risch, Associate Chief Improvement Officer of Design at the Cleveland Clinic. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Oh, thanks for having me, Emily. So you moderated a panel at HIMSS 23 called Human-Centered Design and the Digital Patient Journey. Can you tell me a little bit about the principles of human-centered design and how do you think that applies in healthcare? Absolutely. So human-centered design is a structured approach to problem solving, identification, and reimagining that starts with a deep understanding of the needs, the behaviors, and the motivations of people. And it follows the structured process, right? So where we start with empathy. We are following stories. We are learning through in-depth interviews and observations, following the emotions that people share with us. And based on all of that, we're starting to define, like, what are the bold inferences we need to make? And then we start to ideate, right? What are the radical concepts we can come with? How do we prototype those in a low-resolution way, building to learn before we test um, with curiosity and a willingness to continue to iterate? And I think what's really important about human-centered design is that as human beings, we unconsciously seek to confirm our own hypotheses and avoid attempting to disprove them. So we come with a lot of assumptions when we look at things. What design does, it uncovers what's often hidden, those hidden values, those hidden motivators that ultimately drive behaviors. And as you know, design is a differentiator, right? Design let companies outperform others. And in healthcare, it's important because we need to do the best that we can for patients who are in their most vulnerable times of their life. It's the right thing to do. Patients expect good care. They don't expect to be injured. They don't expect to experience the unnecessary suffering that that actually happens, right? We know this happens in healthcare. And like in any situation, people are driven by their emotions and behaviors. We need to understand these drivers to design a more inclusive and empathic system. And in healthcare, like why it matters, right, is that healthcare is also a product. Although not everyone wants that product <laughs> for the majority of their interactions. Um, patients have choices and we live in this competitive market and we want to be the most desirable choice. What design does for us, it, it orients us to what matters most to those end users so that we can set our strategy based on those factors. Right. So how do you think that most, you know, healthcare experiences, digital health tools perform according to those principles? Where do, where do we succeed and where do they fall short? Yeah, such a great question, Emily. And I think you have to start with what are the design principles that we need to adhere to? Mm -hmm. So right, patients, employees, what we've learned have taught us that, especially when it comes to digital health tools, but experiences, programming, we have to have some musts, 
So we must be inclusive. We must embrace diverse perspectives. We must design things that add value and are responsive to individuality. They must be easy to use, intuitive, creative efficiencies. They must be accessible to all. They must be rooted in empirical research, and they must protect privacy, foster trust, and be ethical. So we have to start with, it's our responsibility to begin to evaluate our processes and the design of digital tools against those principles. Then, you first you agree, right? These are the principles. Then we act in accordance with those principles, right? So if we think about that from that human-centered design process that I talked about, you're first going to involve all possible perspectives early and often. You're going to invest the time to have a deep understanding of what those stakeholders values and how they be behave based on those values. We're going to recognize that different stakeholders are going to have different priorities. Um, and we need to understand when are we designing for who and when are we designing for the inter intersection of those perspectives. Right. Do you have any like examples of how you're thinking about this design thinking, um, you know, how the, how it worked or how, how it didn't work sometimes? Any particular uh, ex experiences that you've had? Of course. So I, patients and employees have taught us that we are exceeding in some ways. We have opportunities in others. So I'll give you a few. <laughs> um, so in, and I think in general, like if you take the broad picture, we are making progress in ensuring that we're designing with versus designing for patients mm -hmm. and employees. And that's a really important step. Um, and that we're also being intentional about the process of just including those key stakeholders and how something's designed. So that shift from designing for what a system wants or needs to being inclusive of the individual um, and from what we believe or assume might be important to what you show us as the end user is essential. Mm -hmm. um, so in you know, that process helps us unveil the numerous opportunities that we can solve, right? And it helps us align what we design with what the people that are going to use it actually want. Um, so one area of success that we've learned from patients and employees, um, that's a really nice example here is, is virtual health. Mm. For a long time, right, patients have wanted this um, and, and have asked for this. And the health system really needed to get a push with COVID. And that catapulted that to be a necessity. So if you think about that virtual experience for patients, it reduces that burden of navigating the health system, like the logistic things like parking, the mobility, the wayfinding, mm -hmm. um, as well as just efficiencies. They're trying to fit our care into their lives. And for providers, it also created efficiencies. It allowed for more flexibility. On the other end of that, like, so that's a success. On the other end of that, I think there's the areas that we need to work on. One of them is creating seamless interconnection and a consistent experience. So we've been successful in points in time solutions. And although an individual digital tool can function quite well, it's that seamless interconnection that remains the opportunity. So if you think about um, the desire to ease the scheduling process, that's been really difficult to operationalize. And um, if you've interacted in healthcare, and certainly your patients are clear with that this is a challenge, but accessing care is hard. Mm -hmm. um, and in design, one of the things that we've done is mapped every entry point in the health system. And they are numerous and they are confusing. And meanwhile, like I said, patients are trying to fit our care into their lives, right? They're trying to schedule around their lives, their work, 
the people that they want to engage in that care. Um, and from our end, we've designed systems that's a series of individual entry points that serve individual areas that sit behind those entry points. And it just doesn't lend itself to that interface for patients. So that's an opportunity that we're, we're working on. How do you take all of these entry points? How do you streamline it and create a consistent experience that feels intuitive and easy for a patient to navigate and to receive our care that we want to provide to them? Right. So one thing I was thinking about, um, how do you use human-centered design, maybe when you've already invested in something or, and you're implementing these principles, how do you determine like if it needs to be replaced or if it's working at all? Or is this just maybe not something that you should do with something you've already used? Is, is this a beginning of the process idea? Always and ideally. Mm-hmm. The best thing to do is to engage in human-centered design early in the project, right? So, and and pull as many perspectives in the project. What that does, right, is it ensures that you're designing with them in mind, the end users in mind, at the very beginning of the project versus trying to retrofit mm-hmm. something that exists. And yet, Emily, the question's fair because we do it all the time, right? We design things and then we put them in front of our patients and say, don't you love them? <laughs> and, and they say no, <laughs> or no one uses them. So if we go back to that beginning, the first and best place is to do it at the onset. Mm-hmm. If we haven't done that, we can still use design and we can do user testing. We can interview those individuals and, and learn what what are they using? How are they using it? What would entice them to use it? How could we change it, iterate it in a way that would be more valuable to them? Uh, but always there is that layer of have we captured what what matters most to the individual? And does the design or does the tool in fact serve that purpose? And I think that disconnect is something that design does a very nice job of highlighting um, and then pointing us in a direction of what could we do different that would meet the need of the patient or the person using it. Right. And something that you kind of were noting earlier in our conversation is you kind of need to think about all the different stakeholders, all the different groups of people who are going to be using, you know, these tools how, how do you think about the di- needs of different patient populations? Because um, there are so many and they all have probably significant different needs. Um, how do you ensure that everybody who's affected is in the room or is considered when you're kind of putting these together? I would argue that human-centered design does this better than any other methodology. Um, and that intentionality, right, of identifying, listening, engaging, and inclusive design is key to the success. And so practically for us, first, we would review our own data to tell us who's choosing our care. Then look at who would we want to to take advantage of our care who may not be right now. And that starts to identify the potential end users, right? And so the objective is who are all the people they may touch this and making certain then that they are engaged in that work. Um, so that intentionality about being inclusive and having many diverse, multiple perspectives is really key. And that's something that we are always striving for um, because we know it's going to give us a deeper understanding. Um, and then right, if we ask and we listen, it is definitely going to inform us. And, and it's more efficient if we do it early in the process. Mm-hmm. Right. Another thing is, you know, we know provider burnout, staffing shortages are huge issues for health systems right now. 
Um, how do you balance adding new innovations while also keeping, you know, the provider workload in check? Yeah, it's, I would say in healthcare, like we are always thinking about how are we designing at that intersection, right, of our patients and our people. And that methodology is powerful because it seeks out what matters most to each stakeholder. So that means you walk away with this clear understanding of what both providers and patients value, what they need, what they want, what's getting in their way. And for our us and in our research over and over again and across different clinical pathways in the organization, we see the highlight of our providers' experience is in connecting with patients and each other. And for our patients, it's extraordinary care they receive. So that human connection matters most. Um, that intersection helps compensate for the burdens in healthcare, like the documentation, the administrative responsibility for providers, the difficulty accessing care, the delays, the transportation, the parking, the wayfinding, the billing um, that our patients experience. And when we do this right, technology can fill in some of those gaps and alleviate the burdens. And I think the example of virtual visits is a good one, right? You spend more time in face-to-face interaction, which you find most valuable for both parties while saving time, eliminating some of the logistics. And and that's the kind of work that we need to continue to think about. Um, and you only understand that, right, if you have a deep understanding of what is it that each individual values, what will matter to them, what will make that experience better and alleviate the burdens. Right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on HIMSCast today. You are so welcome. Thanks for asking. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Um, We'd love you to rate and review us wherever you're listening. And if you like what you hear, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play. Thanks again for joining us today. Thank you for listening to our podcast brought to you by T-Mobile. As a healthcare expert, you know the connected ecosystem of technology and IoT medical devices is essential for providing better care to patients. But with so much sensitive information at stake, Keeping that ecosystem secure is critical. T-Mobile for Business offers the solutions you need to help keep your complex healthcare ecosystem connected and secure. Visit t-mobile.com business to learn more and take another step towards better, connected, and more secure healthcare.